Thank you, Bruce. After you pass your cups to the aisle, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. As Zach said last week, we're going to be diving back in to the Beatitudes, and we'll be covering the second Beatitude this morning. And it's, it's been a neat study for me. I, I've been looking at how these Beatitudes, how one really is connected to the previous one before it. You know, there's, there's a foundation that is set in the first Beatitude that Zach talked about last week, which is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the foundation. Poor in spirit is the foundation. And we're going to be looking at that verse as well as the second one. But let's go ahead and read verses 3 and 4 of Matthew chapter 5. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know, in, in our society, one of the biggest ways of entertainment is humor. Comedy is a, a big part, and I was reading in, in, our, in my growth group this week with men in the book uh, Spiritual Leadership that one of the essential qualities of a spiritual leader is humor. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest uh, preachers of the church, uh, was criticized for often using humor in his sermons and he said, eye twinkling, he said, if only you knew how much I hold back, you would commend me. <laughs> Later, writing on the subject, he said, there are things in these sermons that may produce smiles, but what of them? The preacher is not quite sure about a smile being a sin, and at any rate, he thinks it less a crime to cause momentary laughter than a half hour of profound slumber. <laughs> Last week, as... We sat down for our staff meeting. You know, we, we normally we pass around this um, spreadsheet that says what services we're going to be at, and we have a there's an order in, in on this spreadsheet that I know where my name is normally on it. And as I begin to look at it on Tuesday, I'm looking for my name, and my name is no no longer there. And I'm thinking, why is this? <laughs> and it's because it was at the top of the spreadsheet, and it says, Jeff, you're preaching. And I said, well, wait, no, no, I was, I was, I was thinking I'm preaching the following week. And Zach said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. <laughs> but humor is a, a big part of our culture, as I said. You know, TV uh, shows are really, a lot of them are founded on humor, uh, you know, comedy. A lot of radio talk shows have a lot of comedy. You know, it's funny how even, even our uh, sitcoms can, can go overseas. And when my wife and I were in China last year, my wife was introducing herself uh, to some of the Chinese ladies. We were in Beijing, and, and she said, oh, my name is Penny. And the little Chinese lady said, um, oh, like from the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> and we didn't even know what that was. <laughs> Yet she... You know, this young Chinese lady knew what the Big Bang Theory was, and I, I know what it is now, but at that time I didn't. And, but, you know, it's funny, I, what I'm saying is, you know, sometimes humor can be a big part of our lives, but sometimes we can be really caught up in, in, in joy and humor, and this, this 
passage that we're looking at is talking about what? Mourning. Do Christians mourn? Are we, are we to be joyful? Of course we are. Are we happy? Is it wrong to laugh? No, it's not wrong to laugh. But we can easily get caught up in, and think that you know, humor is everything. But on the other hand, sometimes Christians can be really dour and downcast. D.A. Carson told a story about a little girl who saw a horse and said that it must be a Christian because it has such a long face. And he goes on, he says, this beatitude is not counsel for developing a long face, but rather because of understanding the seriousness of life, understanding God, understanding sin, and understanding eternity. That's what this beatitude is about. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And it's really a paradoxical statement of comfort in mourning. One commentator said this, he said, this beatitude could be loosely translated, happy are those who are sad. Happy are those who are sad. And that that doesn't really make sense, does it? It's paradoxical. And to understand this, this beatitude, we must not lose focus on what Jesus was describing in all of the beatitudes. You know, Zach said last week that these beatitudes are a description of the character of those people who are part of the kingdom of God. And so when we we look at blessed are those who mourn, it's part of who we are as Christians that we mourn. So not necessarily every mourning we go through can be covered in this beatitude, and I'm going to talk about that. But this beatitude is talking about really about what moves us, what we cry about, and maybe even what we laugh about. And when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, he's talking about a, a spiritual mourning, a spiritual mourning that flows from us being poor in spirit as Zach talked about last week. And each of these uh, Beatitudes, as I said, flows one from the the other. And as we come to see the reality of our our spiritual bankruptcy that that Zach talked about last week, we become overwhelmed by our own offense towards God. And, you know, men, men in the Bible, the greatest men of the Bible, came to a place where they saw their sinfulness. I mean, we remember Isaiah. He says, Woe is me, for I am I am lost. Woe is me, for I am lost. Or Paul says, wretched man that I am. Or Peter says, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Spiritual mourning. Spiritual mourning finds comfort because it turns our hearts from our sin to dependence upon God and his mercy and grace. We find comfort because as we mourn over the sin in our lives, we come to an understanding of God's graciousness and that he saves us. And it brings comfort because of our repentance. So do we mourn? Do we mourn spiritually? But I want to look at some things that spiritual mourning is not. So let's look at what spiritual mourning is not. The word that is used in this passage of mourning is, is a deep mourning. And it usually has to do with the loss of a loved one. You know, when, I, when my mother passed away a little over 11 years ago, it was very hard for me. And there would be times that I would just be sitting there, I'd be, I'd be listening to the radio, and all of a sudden a song that maybe she listened to came on, and it would be, begin to bring tears to my eyes, and, and I'd begin to cry and weep, and it's that weeping that you can't control. You may even try to stop it, but you can't because there's something deep inside you, and that's what this morning has to do with. It's not just a simple pain that... Uh, can easily go away, but it takes possession of us and we can't control it. But this verse is often used in a way that Jesus really didn't intend for it to be used. 
to say that in every situation, every type of, of trial, every type of mourning, that we will be comforted. But the first thing that this spiritual mourning is not, it is not mourning because of loss, like the loss of my mother. Is there comfort in that kind of loss from God as Christians? Yes, there is. But this, this mourning that Jesus is talking about is not mourning because of loss. And this, this verse can be used at funerals all the time. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. As an assurance that over time, you will be comforted. And I would say that, yes, it's true that we will be comforted, but that's not what Jesus is talking about in this passage. You know, a better verse for that situation, I think, would be 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, where Paul says this. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. When I look back at the death of my mother, I know that God was comforting me as I was mourning. But again, the passage we're looking at is not talking about that. The second thing that spiritual mourning is not, it is not mourning because of discomfort. It is not mourning because of discomfort, because much of our discomfort often is caused by ourselves. I mean, sometimes we, we get caught in sin and and it causes discomfort. Sometimes our sin catches up with us and we get disciplined. And that, that brings discomfort and we, and we mourn over it. But that's not what Jesus is talking about in this passage. I mean, how many of us remember Cain and Abel? You know, Cain kills his brother Abel. And God brings uh, judgment against him. And he says in Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 12, he says, When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Was Cain mourning at this point? Yes, but it's not the mourning that Jesus is talking about. Do you hear in Cain's voice anything about the fact that he was a murderer and he had killed his brother Abel? No, that's the mourning that Jesus is talking about, the mourning that that mourns over sin. The third thing that spiritual mourning is not is it is not mourning that is only external. We know so many people that can put on a a dour face. You know, they are, are naturally... Weepy, and you know, it's, it's sad, but there's times that I'm, I'll be at the top of the stairs greeting people, and I'll see somebody come up halfway up the stairs, and they'll be smiling till they get halfway up the stairs, and then they'll put on a sad face because they want the sympathy from the pastor at the top of the stairs. That's not the mourning that Jesus is talking about. It's not something that we just do and we see on the outside. We're, you know, we were talking in my growth group. And one of the men said there was a, a guy that was always complaining about what, what God was doing in his life and, and how things were going bad. And it was just an ongoing, ongoing miserableness. And eventually this guy said, just stop it. That's not what Christians should be mourning over. You know, I remember as a, as a young boy, I used to not get my way sometimes. And I would, you know, be pouting. And what I would do is I would fold my arms. And I'd sit on my couch. And my mom used to 
kind of teased me, and what she did to remedy that is she would take my teddy bear and fold its arms and set it next to me. <laughs> that pouty attitude is not what Jesus is talking about here. Now, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, Jesus says this to the hypocrites. He says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. You know, they were able to put on a, a sad face, and you know, we're not talking about that kind of sad face. That's not the mourning that Jesus is talking about. And some have a habitually depressed countenance, their long-faced look, Looks like that horse that little girl was talking about. But, you know, that just happens to be their disposition. They can change it on a whim. As I said, the, you know, the person that walks up the stairs, they can turn it on or they can turn it off. And spiritual mourning does not mean that you're able to outdo everyone else by a sour look. And this beatitude does not praise our, our sour disposition. It also does not commend the tongue that, that continually complains. I mean, if that were the case, who would be the, the people that would be comforted the most? The Israelites in the desert, they were complaining all the time. But does God ever commend them for their complaining? You know, they were mourning being out there in the desert, but that's not the mourning that Jesus is talking about, is it? You know, they, if that was the case, they would be commended. But what he does is he always confronts them for their complaining and their mourning and says, trust me, I can see you through this. The fourth thing this, this spiritual mourning is not, it is, it is not mourning that is self-seeking. It's not mourning that is self-seeking. You know, sometimes we can mourn. And it's, it's truly mourning, but we forget everybody else that's around us. You know, there's times that, that we may lose a loved one, and, and we get so depressed that we forget that there are other people around that need care as well, that, that are mourning themselves. And we can get so caught up that we actually cause pain to others as we mourn. So this morning that Jesus is talking about is not self-seeking. How many of us remember King David? We know he was a man after God's own heart, yet there was a time that he mourned that was very self-seeking. It was at the death of his son Absalom. And how many of us remember Absalom? Absalom was a wicked son. He tried to take his father's throne. He, he tries to kill his father over and over again. He is proud. He was selfish. He hated his father. He was egotistical and you know, he, he thought he was so handsome. In fact, he loved his hair so much that every year it would grow so long that he would cut his hair and he would weigh it because he was so proud of his hair. He eventually runs his father David out of Jerusalem and tries to take the throne. But eventually, Absalom, as he's riding through the forest, what happens to him? He gets caught by his hair in a, in a tree and he gets slain. But David mourns over his son. You know, David mourns over his son. He says in 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 33, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I had died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And that's sad. I mean, he's mourning. But it's sad. What does he mean by this? Would I had died instead of you? Would David have said, Absalom, you know, it would be better if you had the throne, if you were king, than me. Yet God had called David to be the king of Israel, and yet he's mourning in such a way that is bringing shame upon everybody that has fought to protect David. 
These, these men who had gone to war to, to protect David and his family and to protect the kingdom. And David is mourning in such a way that it is self-seeking and doesn't take into account anyone else. And what he does is he makes everyone else ashamed. And it says they were walking into Jerusalem and they, they, were, they were ashamed at what had happened, that the battle had been won. But Joab, David's commander, goes into David in 2 Samuel chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, and it says this, it says, Then Joab came into the house of the king and said, You have today covered with shame the faces of all your servants, who have this day saved your life and the lives of your sons and your daughters and the lives of your wives and your concubines, because you love those who hate you and you hate those who love you. For you have made it clear today that commanders and servants are nothing to you. For today I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, then you would be pleased. Ouch. I mean, David had been mourning, but his mourning was self-seeking, and he was forgetting everybody else in the kingdom that, that God had given him as the king. This morning, the mourning that Jesus is talking about is not self-seeking. And all these, morning, all these things may be mourning, the mourning of loss, the mourning of injustice, and in David's case, the mourning of the loss of a son, but it's not the mourning that Jesus is talking about. But what, now let's look at what spiritual mourning is. So what is spiritual mourning? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Spiritual mourning has to do with the mourning over sin, not the mourning over loss. Spiritual mourning has to do with repenting from sin, coming to a place where you understand how sinful you are. And it's founded where? On the fact that we are poor in spirit. We come to a place that we know that we need God. We come to a place that we see our sin for what it is, and we mourn over it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, Paul says this, As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. You know, Paul wrote to the, the Corinthians to rebuke them because they were not repenting. And, but w- what he does is he rebukes them and they come to a place that they see their sin and they have godly grief or godly sorrow and that godly sorrow leads them to repent. And we learn that from this that godly sorrow has nothing to do with the loss of, of worldly comforts. But it has everything to do with the loss of, of or, or has everything to do with how we see God and how we see our sin. I mean, do you see God for who he is? Do you see that your sin offends him? He who is holy and just and righteous. Or do you simply see your sin as just something that's not a real big deal? Because if we don't mourn over our sin, then we're not mourning the way that Jesus calls us to mourn. Do you see God as holy and, and righteous? Do you see sin as something that in the past, before you were a Christian, caused you to be separated, an enemy of God? You know, this morning that Jesus talks about flows out of that spiritual poverty as our recognition of personal bankruptcy and worth before God seizes us. And he seizes us and he takes us from that and he, he causes us to mourn and he causes us to repent. And we lament over our sin. We mourn over the loss of a, a clear vision of who God is, a clear vision of his holiness and 
his obedience to, to his law. But where does that spiritual mourning begin? That spiritual mourning begins internally, doesn't it? You know, many times we can easily get focused on everybody else's sin and the injustice that is happening in the world. You know, we can rise up and be political and say this is this and this is this, but God wants it to start where? Internally in us. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 7, remove the plank from your own eye so that you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You know, take, for instance, the, that famous scene in Isaiah's encounter with God in Isaiah chapter 6. In the first five chapters of Isaiah, Isaiah has been co confronting as the mouthpiece of God the nation of Israel, and he's been saying, repent, repent. For five chapters, he, for five chapters, he is the mouthpiece of God saying, repent. And for Isaiah, he's the only one that's not getting told, repent. Because he's telling everybody, he's the mouthpiece of God. But what happens is, that could easily lead to a, a pride. You need to repent, but I don't. And we can... We can have that as Christians, can't we? You need to repent, but I don't. But what God does is, is God gives Isaiah a clear vision. And we, we read in chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, it says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of, the robe, of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. See, Isaiah sees God for, for who he is, and he's overwhelmed by it. He looks at God and sees him high, and it gives him a, a godly perspective. Looking upon the majesty of God, he saw his lowliness. He looked on God's holiness, and he saw his sinfulness. He looked upon the, the Lord's glory and saw his own tainted character. He looked upon the beauty and majesty of the Lord, and then he saw his own ugliness and the blackness of his soul. Not even the seraphim that were there could look on the Lord Two, they two wings, they covered their faces. Yet they called out, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah's response is a recognition of his spiritual poverty and an expression of his mourning over who he is. So we read in verse 5, it says, and Isaiah said this, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah sees God for who he is, and, and it moves him. It's an internal moving that stops Isaiah from pointing at everybody else in Israel, but he starts to look at himself and say, whoa, I am ruined. I'm lost. And that's what it has to start with us. It has to start with us mourning over our own sin, not everybody else's. Martin Lloyd-Jones Lloyd said this, the way to become poor in spirit is to look at God. And then he added, that is the way of spiritual mourning as well, to look at God. And secondly, the mourning that results from an understanding of God's is, is really that. It's his holiness. Do we see God for who he is? A holy God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Sinclair Ferguson says this, The man who generally mourns because of sin has been drawn out of himself to see God in his holiness and grace. It is this his side of God that has made him mourn. 
And as we see God for who he is, and we understand his holiness, and, and where do we see God? We see God by, by studying his word. We see how he's moved in creation. We see how he's moved in redemption. We look at the incarnation of Christ. We look at Jesus Christ in his perfect, holy life, and then we look to the cross and see what he had to suffer in order to pay for the sins of his people. And when we realize that Christ is so holy that he couldn't overlook any sin, that even if there was one person who needed to be saved, he would have had to die and shed his blood for them because of his holiness. Thirdly, this morning, this morning results from an understanding of the nature of our sin. The nature of our sin. Again, when we look back at, at David and his life, we see David who was a man after God's own heart, yet he sins with Bathsheba and has her husband Uriah the Hittite murdered. He becomes a murderer and an adulterer. And he could easily, David could have easily said, look, I'm, I have sinned against you, Bathsheba, and I've sinned against your husband Uriah. And we can easily have a, a tendency to, to, to think of our sin in terms of it just has to do with us. Yes, it may affect our immediate family when we sin. It may affect our, our, our circumstances. It may affect our jobs when we don't honor God there. But we can easily see our sin as something that just simply is about us personally. And we forget that we, who we sin against when we sin. But David says in Psalm 51... Verses 1 through 4, he says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. And I love verse 4, he says, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. That's the spiritual mourning that Jesus is talking about. A spiritual mourning that, that sees our, our own sin and, and sees it in relationship to God, that sin is what separates us from God before we're Christians, that we are his enemies. And now as his people, yes, we're saved by the grace of God, but do we see that that sin can, can often put a barrier between us and, and we don't want that barrier and so it causes us to mourn over our sin. Because we know that it has affected our relationship with God, and it's God who's offended. And God protects us from sin, and we have to realize that. He, he protects us from sin, yet we still go on sinning. And when we realize that, we, we have to turn from our sin. And fourthly, the, the morning, this morning focuses upon particular sins. On particular sins. We, we often want to confess, I'm a sinner but really is not confessing anything in particular. You know, it's not ter terribly difficult for a person to join the crowd by saying, I'm a sinner, for he generally adds, I'm a sinner like everyone else. Even a wicked person can do that. I'm a sinner like everyone else. I mentioned Peter earlier. Peter casts the net into the water, and they bring in this great catch, and what does he say? Lord, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. That's general, general sin. I'm a sinful man. But Peter, later on, what does he do? He denies the Lord. He denies the Lord, and he has to repent over that, and he wept over his denial. 
In Matthew 26, beginning at verse 74, he says this, speaking of Peter, then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. He wept bitterly over that sin that he had committed against the Lord by, by denying him. You know, I remember years ago, my wife and I, we owned a triplex in, in Long Beach, and we, we were living in one of the units, and we, we had fixed up that unit, and then our tenants in one of the other units moved out, so we moved out of that unit into, because it was nice, and we could rent it out really fast, we moved into the, the unit that wasn't in very good shape, so it gave us some time, and and we had some tenants move in, and they were there for a fairly short time. And eventually they moved out, and we went into the place to, to start cleaning it up. We found that there was mold on all the walls. There were iron burns in the carpet. The tile in the bathroom was ruined. And so we had to end up putting a lot of money into this place. And, and as, we, as we did this, you know, I, I retiled the bathroom, and you know, being an amateur and retiling, the tile grout got into the drain and clogged the drain. And you can't get tile grout out of a drain. And I was trying to clear this drain, and I had spent all this money, and I was, I was getting angry. And I began to mourn over this house that I had and over the drain that I had. And I began to get angry, and I was trying to clear this drain, and I was angry at the drain. I was angry at the tenants they had destroyed our place, and I was, I was angry over the house that God had given us. And as I sat there trying to clear the strain, I was so frustrated. My wife was in the living room, and I went out, and I, I bowed my knees, and I, I said, Lord, thank you for the drain. And tears began to come to my eyes. And I said, Lord... Thank you for the tile. And more tears and more crying. God, thank you for the carpet. God, thank you for the tenant. Thank you for this house. And as I did that, realizing that most importantly, I was angry with who? The Lord. I was angry at the Lord for all these things and complaining and frustrated and as I began to, to confess those before the Lord and say, thank you for this, thank you for this, that mourning that I was going through brought comfort. As I began to confess those, those sins specifically, God began to change my heart to love the people that had ruined the place. That mourning, God comforted. But it happened as... You know, as I confess those sins specifically, and we need to do that. We need to be more specific with our sins, to, to address our deeds, our thoughts, our attitudes, our tongue, our mistreatment of others, our neglect of, of spiritual disciplines like praying and reading his word, our ingratitude, our lusts, our impure thoughts, our disobedience to parents, our greed, our self-centeredness, our pride, our arrogance. And when we do that, it will bring us to a place of spiritual mourning, but God will bring comfort when we do that. 
Thomas Watson wrote, a wicked man, I like this, a wicked man will say he is a sinner, but a child of God says, I have done this evil. See, a wicked man can say I'm a sinner, but we who are Christians will mourn over our sin specifically. And this spiritual mourning that that Jesus is talking about produces a hatred for sin. A hatred for sin and a heart that desires to be holy. A hatred for sin and you know, if we, don't, if we don't mourn, it can be easily lost and we can easily forget what that means to, to mourn spiritually. And sadly, in our modern American Christianity, it doesn't really seek holiness and it really knows nothing of spiritual mourning because sins are often just as much a part of the so-called people of God that they are, as they are in the world. And, you know, spiritual mourning targets sin. It targets sin in such a way that it says, Yes, I've, I've done this sin, but it doesn't stop there, does it? As a Christian, it, it, it applies the cross of Christ. and says, I mourn over this sin, but it looks to the cross to remember that Christ died for that sin as well. You know, it, it looks for the Lord for, for deliverance. God, help me to overcome this sin. Help me to have this sin be in my past as I learn and grow. You know, says, God, show me how, by, by reading your word and, and by praying, how I can put this sin in my past. It takes seriously Paul's exhortation to the Ephesians in Ephesians 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. You know, as his children, what do we do? We, we're imitators of him. We don't just continue to sin the way we used to sin. We continue to say, I want to be more like Jesus. And I'm afraid that even in the church today and among many Christians, people, you know, many Christian people, that there's really a defective understanding of sin that's inconsistent with the Word of God. And we can become tainted by the world around us. And we're, we're talking here about the kind of sorrow that comes first, first of all, from mourning over our own sin, and it drives us to God. And that's how we get into the kingdom, right? We, we get into the kingdom because we come to a realization that we're sinners and we need to be saved. And it, so it drives us to the kingdom, but once we're in the kingdom, we, we continue to realize we're sinners. You know, you know, as a new Christian, I was comforted by the fact that I was saved because of the grace of God, and, and I'm comforted by that fact today. But I realize more and more as, a, as I grow in the Lord that I'm still a sinner and in need of his grace. But the one thing that we have to be careful of is, is not mourning over our sin. And I think this is simple. When you, when you no longer mourn, when you no longer mourn over your sin, you'll no longer repent. And when you no longer repent, you'll no longer confess. And when you don't confess, you'll have barriers between you and God. How many of us have experienced that? I have. Just letting it go. Doesn't mean we're not Christians. It's not a barrier that separates us from God in an eternal sense, but there is definitely a strain on our relationship when, when we don't confess our sins, when we don't mourn over our sins, it creates a barrier. And, and the best thing that we can do is, is to repent. If you want to be joyful, if you want to be blessed, if you want to be happy, then just turn to God. He's, he's there to hear you. That's the amazing thing about him. And 
But the answer to true happiness is, is mourning over sin. And it, what it does is it washes our soul and it, it frees us to have that relationship. I mean, we've experienced it maybe in our, our temporal relationships, right? You know, you have an argument with maybe your, your husband or your wife and, you know, you don't, you're stubborn and you don't want to break it down. But as soon as, you, as soon as you engage each other, there's a freedom that comes and a restoring of that relationship. But the right response is to admit it and not cover it up. The other thing we can't do is just admit it and say, oh, I'm going to fix this myself. No, what we need to do is say, God, you, in your mercy and grace, deliver me from this and, and teach me to walk in your ways. I'm reminded of the prodigal son in Luke 15. And the prodigal son, he goes out and he squanders all the wealth, all of his inheritance, and he finds himself feeding pigs, desiring to eat what the pigs are eating. And, but he comes to his senses, doesn't he? He comes to his senses, and we need to be like the prodigal son. And he goes back to his father in Luke 15, 21, and he says to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the prodigal son came back spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are the poor in spirit. He came back in spiritual poverty and he repented. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And the father embraced him and took him in and blessed him. That's the same thing with us. And, you know, I'm not talking about wallowing in self-pity. You know, that's self-centered. People wallow in self-pity because they want attention from other people. Because they want everyone focusing on them. And I'm not talking about us coming to church all gloomy. Oh, I'm such a sinner. You know, I'm, I'm not worthy to be called your son. But what I'm saying is that there needs to be on an on a ongoing basis between us and the Lord a, a repenting that goes on that, that we call out to him and we find forgiveness in him. A broken heart over our sin. That's why David says in Psalm 51 verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Now when we come to God, he never rejects a person that comes to him like that. That's how you come into the kingdom when you're, you're ready to mourn over your sin and reach out to God and receive forgive, the forgiveness he offers. And my third point, spiritual mourning will receive God's comfort. It will receive God's comfort. And spiritual mourning is, is not an isolated act. It's a, a continual part of the believer's life. We realize this, it's in the, in the present tense, blessed are those who mourn. That's an ongoing mourning. And when we see our, our sins as that, we, we continually need God's comfort throughout our lives. And first of all, God's comfort begins where? At salvation. It begins at salvation. Spiritual mourning begins when we're converted. And it's a pathway to repentance. It, it comes as a gift of God's grace that enables us to see our sin as an offense to God and to understand the judgment of, of God that weighs against us. But when you come to God at, at your salvation, just like I did, you come to him bankrupt, right? I'm bankrupt, I'm a sinner. I need your salvation. What did, what did he do? As soon as I became a Christian, I was comforted. I knew that he had saved me, and it wasn't because of anything that I had done. It was because of what he had done on a cross. But I was comforted by the fact that I knew that Jesus Christ had died for me. Now, spiritual mourning begins at, at our salvation, and we're comforted, and 
It's not a comfort that, that leads to pride and says, oh, I, I've earned this. No, it's a, a comfort that humbles us and says, I am so thankful. I have this deep gratitude for what you have done for me. I'm comforted by your love and your mercy. And that's why Jesus can say in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Second, God's comfort continues through our sanctification. Through our sanctification. You know, there's times, like like I said, we have this barrier that we've built up because we have unconfessed sin. But as we come to him and we confess that sin, we're reminded and we're comforted by the fact that we're reminded that our, we don't earn our salvation. We're reminded that he paid the, the price on a cross 2,000 years ago and that it's not something that we can earn today. We're reminded that his grace is sufficient for us as we sin throughout our lives as Christians. As I said, as, as a Christian, for me, as I get, grow in the Lord and as I get longer and longer in the Lord, I, I see the holy and maj- majesty of our Lord And that's as if I'm being exposed more and more to my own sinfulness. Yes, I would say I'm growing. I'm not the same person I was 25 years ago when I came to Christ. But I still have a recognition that I need His grace every day. And so it continues through our sanctification. And and in that, I'm comforted. And I, I look at my life and when I think of His forgiveness and that I have Christ, I'm thankful And I can say like Paul, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. What's the next verse? Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Wretched man that I am, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We recognize our sin as we're Christians and we we go through life and, and we know that when we confess our sins, he's faithful. That's what John says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we have that as our hope that, that through our lives as Christians, he comforts us and he encourages us and he reminds us that it's not who we are and what we have done, but what, who he is and what he has done. And that brings comfort knowing that we are his children. And lastly... God's comfort will be complete at our glorification. And we can see this progress, salvation, our sanctification, and, and now our glorification. And we realize that ultimately our sins will be fully comforted when? When we see him face to face in the kingdom. You know, many people I see and I hear many Christians, they say, you know, as, as they get older, their body starts to waste away and they say, I can't wait to get to heaven because I'm going to get a new body, a better body, a, a, a spiritual body, a resurrected body. And I can't wait for that. But one of the things I can't wait for is to be through with sin. Because he will take away our sin when we're in heaven. We'll no longer sin and we'll never, no longer have to mourn over our sin on an ongoing basis. 
It says in God's word that Jesus Christ will be at the center of the new Jerusalem. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world will still see the nail scars in his hands. We'll still remember that we were sinners saved by the grace of God. But we'll no longer have to mourn over these ongoing sins because he will put those things under his feet. And we read in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And our spiritual mourning finds the ultimate comfort promised by Christ, for they shall be comforted in the future when we're glorified with him, and we stand before the Lord's presence in Christ's righteousness. Yet, as we stand before him in Christ's righteousness, he'll take every sin that we struggle with and we, we mourn over, and he'll take those away, and we'll no longer have to mourn over those any longer. He puts to death, death, he put, puts to death our sin, he conquers them and he puts everything under his feet. And we can't understand that completely, can we? Not even the Apostle John could understand that. What, what are we going to be like when we're in heaven? But he says this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what, we'll, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And that brings comfort. Someday we're going to see him face to face and we're going to be like him, pure and holy, and that will bring comfort. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you that you've given us humility. Lord, that you have given us your Holy Spirit that convicts us of our sin. Lord, that you have shown us that we are spiritual, spiritually bankrupt and that because of that we can mourn. Lord, I thank you for your grace that those who mourn will be comforted. And Lord, I know that for me, I am comforted knowing that you sent your one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for my sins. And by faith in him, by faith in him, I have received comfort because I know that I stand in him alone and not in me. Lord, I, I thank you for your church. And Lord, as we stand and worship you, I pray that our, our words and our hearts would be pleasing to you. In your son Jesus' name, amen. Well, shall we stand and worship our, our holy and loving God as we stand in his grace? I'd like to... Uh... Thank <laughs> you.